It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. And good afternoon. My name is Anthony Weiner. Welcome to Left vs. Right on 77 WABC Radio. I am on the left. Curtis Lee will be joining us in the 3 o'clock hour on the right. Maybe not much of a slugfest. It's a beautiful day outside. It's a day to be taking it easy, enjoying the outdoors. If you are out washing your car or driving someplace, thank you so much for joining in. Great opportunity for me once again to be on the radio. I'm still learning my way. For those of you who have been tuning in week after week, I'm really grateful. Many more of you, not only to my program, but and to Curtis's my program, but also to all the programming here in 77 WABC under the leadership of John Katsimatidis and Chad Lopez and the team here. Station's doing great. People are listening in, and it's really great. If you'd like to get in the queue to be part of this conversation, this program doesn't work without you. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Um, this was a week that began frankly, with abject sadness. Uh, it's a really tough week for New Yorkers. For those of you who don't live in the region, you probably have heard about the passing of firefighter Timothy Klein, a member of, of Ladder Company 170. He and his family lived in my former district of Bell Harbor, was laid to rest yesterday. Uh, what can you really say? I mean, there are very few jobs that are like being a firefighter. Uh, you know, if you every time you see one of these surveys of the most respected businesses to be in. Uh, my former business of politician does not rank near the top, but every time firefighter is near the top. It is one of those things when I walk past the firehouses, one on our block on seventh, on 14th Street, I always make a point of pointing it out to, to Jordan. And Timothy Klein was the embodiment of that. You know, not long ago, he was giving a eulogy for one of his brothers. And there we were, we were laying him to rest um, yesterday and our prayers are with him and his family. It is a very difficult time for our city. When we lose one, it brings us all together. Um, and then on a much lighter and much more uplifting note, uh, the Mets yesterday with the most unlikely of no-hitters. I'm wearing my New York Mets hoodie today. Now, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that you know DeGrom threw a no-hitter or Scherzer threw a no-hitter, I would probably say, yeah, that's I, I would, could totally see that. DeGrom, arguably the best pitcher in the history of baseball, and Scherzer hasn't, I don't think, the, the, I can't remember the last time he took the mound for his team and the team didn't win. But if you then said to me, well, no, but there's going to be a no-hitter and it's going to be Tyler McGill, Drew Smith, Jolie Rodriguez, Seth Lugo, and Edward Diaz piecing it together against one of the, the most high-powered offenses in the majors, I would have said never. Our weakness is our bullpen, but yesterday was our strength, and that was amazing. And just what we needed, for those of us who are hockey fans, or are fans of the Islanders more precisely, yesterday was the last game of the season. The Rangers will be going to the playoffs next week, um, and uh, I begrudgingly wish them all the best luck. But it ended on a nice a nice note, but um, this, is, this is station has been covering uh, the loss of Timothy Klein all week, and we continue to keep him in our prayers. Um, we're going to get into some interesting issues with Curtis when he comes in a little bit later. We're going to talk about this proposal to rename the Ed Koch Bridge, which has a little something to do with the thing I'm going to do my monologue about. We're, we might talk about the Disinformation Governance Board. It's going to be hard to do that conversation with a straight face. And then I'm going to ask a question that maybe some of the callers know the answer to. Today I got on the 101 Limited bus, and I uh, was wondering, what is the difference between a limited and an express there's obviously had to be some difference because I take the second Avenue buses express. The third Avenue bus is limited. Maybe someone can call in at 800-848-WABC and let me know about that or anything else we're going to be talking about. But, you know, there was a lot of talk this week and it might not have struck all of you. It was a frenzy in the media circles about the latest that is going to go on with Twitter. And I don't expect that many WABC listeners are heavy consumers of Twitter and Twitter has this outside relevance because so many media people are into it. 
but now Elon Musk, the wealthiest person in in the world, has stepped up and said he wants to buy it. And I have a thing or two to say about this and how it relates to the theme of our program here where we try to push off against the left and the right fringes and try to talk to the people in the middle who sometimes feel disengaged, sometimes feel silenced, who are partisan, have strong beliefs, but who sometimes find the debate getting hijacked from the fringes. And let me start out with a couple of things about Twitter. You know, first of all, this notion that Elon Musk is going to return free speech to to, to Twitter. Well, really, you know what I really should start with? I have a complicated relationship with Twitter. Um, uh, I haven't posted for years. There's still an account I have active at Rep Wiener if you want to go take a look at it. that. And uh, I used to use it when I was a member of Congress quite a bit. Now, this was early on before 2011. And as many of you know, who know my story, because of something I accidentally posted on Twitter and then lied about, by the way, repeatedly, I had to resign in 2011. Um, and so uh, when I talk about Twitter and when people see Anthony Weiner talking about Twitter, they might say, boy, that isn't that ironic. But, you know, what I, I really haven't experienced it much during this period where it's matured. And so when... When Musk comes in and says, I want to restore free speech to Twitter, we all know because we have common sense that there is not really such a thing as pure free speech anywhere. Um, whoever owns it, we're not going to want people to post on there the, about terrorism. We're not going to have terrorism plans. We don't want them to to pe- people to be threatened when they're on there. We don't want police officers to have their home address posted on there. We don't want anti-Semites and racists. We don't want it to be a cesspool. We all believe that there should be some moderation, but we also believe that, you know, sometimes that moderation has gone too far. You know, we've had the really legitimate debates. I've said before, you know, I'm a bit of an expert on the Hunter, uh, Hunter Biden laptop. I pride myself on being that. And I can tell you, I thought that blocking the New York Post from social media platform, like from Twitter, was the wrong thing to do. Whatever you thought about the contents and whatever you think about it today, saying to a a major publication, I think it's the oldest continually printed newspaper in the country, that's a mistake. But we have legitimate questions are going to come up when someone posts fake health information, should it be on there, when there are people just put out and out lies. Free speech is never complete and it always comes with some responsibility. So let me just say that out there. But Here's my hot take on this, and we don't do hot takes on this, so I'm going to go deeper into it than just the top line. I think that whoever owns it, whether it's one one super wealthy guy, Elon Musk, or whether it's a bunch of fairly wealthy people, whatever the investors are, I think we should shut it down. I mean, just close it at this point because I believe that as much as Musk might say that he wants Twitter to be a digital town square – where matters, as he says, vital to the future of humanity are debated. Um, But not only has it failed to be that, but it's also ruining our real town squares. It's ruining our real sources of debate and conversation in this country. And I'll tell you why I think that. You know, first of all, anyone who spends any time on Twitter, and I still read it from time to time, particularly to prepare for this show, because now I I have to know the hot takes of both sides. But as I say, I don't post. You can feel free to go ahead and post and follow me on Rep Wiener at some point. Maybe I'll start posting again. Um, but like uh, the fringes dominate the debate. It, w- basically, it's crazies on both sides. You have I mean, think about it. If it were not for Twitter, would QAnon, would 9-11 being an inside job, would allegations of stolen elections, would Pizzagate, would these crazy things have any oxygen and yet – there they are, right in the middle, dominating the conversations and dominating the posts. All you have to do is go look up Anthony Weiner's laptop and you see how much of that is going on. And it's not just on the right. You know, my 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 party, my people are, are as bad but in a different way. You've got to be completely 100 percent pure on every subject or they descend upon you like a pack of wolves to take away – your voice and sometimes to take away your job. Now, this did not happen to me. What happened to me on Twitter is I did something stupid. Twitter didn't bring me down. I brought me down. My addiction brought me down. And so let me separate me from that. But, you know, I mean, it's hard not to think of hundreds of examples, but I'll give you one. I don't know if you recall the, the example of this guy, David Shore. This guy was an academic. He was a liberal one for a progressive think tank. And in the early days of the protests over the of the killing of George Floyd, he tweeted out, 
research that he had found showing that violent protests of the 1960s led to electoral ramifications in the areas around those Democratic counties, meaning to to put some context to what was going on in that moment. He was drummed out of a job. He lost his job for that quote. All he was saying was something that was what was provably true. He was just pointing it out for context. He was accused of being anti-black. He was accused of not being sufficiently woke, and he lost his job. Now, I don't want to dwell on this side of it either, but it turned out he was very right. If you look at the polling today about some of the problems with crime rising, it is in areas where there are heavy protests, including in New York City. But the point that I'm making is that Twitter right now is not this place that people are having conversations, and there is so much hostility and name-calling and doxing of people going on. And frankly, the things that go on in that town square, the town square of Twitter, have made it very difficult for any politician, any policymaker, any academic to show up and have a legitimate conversation in the midst of all that that's going on. It's making it harder to have that conversation and not easier. And in fact, many of the things that go on on Twitter, this whole idea of of uh, I mean, we've all talked about this idea. We now all know the phrase confirmation bias, this idea that we're only open to information that reinforces what we believe. And sometimes I will tell you, it goes on here on WABC. One of the reasons that when uh, that John Katzmatidis deserves enormous amount of credit is he says he wants to hear from other sides. He wants to hear both sides. When he has his top-rated show on every day, he always has a voice from the other side. And if you think about it, it really is what goes on in Twitter, and I know this is a hot phrase, kind of un-American. Because this confirmation bias is not the way we learn things. It's not the way we get better. It's not the way we develop as a country. John Stuart Mills once famously said, he who only knows his side of the case knows little of that. And what did he mean? What he meant was... That if you only want to hear about your side of the case, you never learn the weaknesses in your side of the case. Your side of the case never gets any better. The people who silence and intimidate their critics make themselves stupider. I mean, think about our system. Think about what's, think about the American way of life. In, in, in courtrooms, we have two biased advocates, one on each side, and that's how we try to emerge the truth. We have that conflict of ideas in education. If you're an academic like my friend Catherine and you, you put out a paper, what do you do? You put it out there into the world. And, and what do other academics do? They prey upon it. They come in there. They peer review it and they give you the, their best take. And then very often the author of the paper will return and make changes in response. If you're a newspaper in the United States, you're like a newspaper nowhere else. Now, newspapers have had a rough go of it. I get it. But they have fact checking. They have editors if you're a reporter and you only get one side of the story, your editor will send you back and get the other side of the story. And the article winds up being better. And, of course, the greatest expression of this conflict of ideas being a good thing is government. I mean, the Lincoln-Douglas debates get used as an example of everything, you know, seven, three-hour debates. But what people sometimes lose sight of is the thing that they were debating was slavery and its imp- impact on, on the country and the ethics of it. I mean <laughs> – Not to open a kettle of worms, they were talking about critical race theory. They were talking about what is the meaning of slavery in our country and should it be expanded? Should it be, should it be eliminated? They were dealing with the toughest of tough issues. And both Lincoln and Douglas said they learned during those debates and became better going forward. And it clearly, it clearly influenced our country in a positive way because of the president that Lincoln became. Those were Senate debates, but the president that he became. So not only does this debate not help on Twitter, but it is made impossible for present-day politicians to do the types of things they need to do to make good policy. I mean, we don't have an ability now for people in the middle. I was a very progressive member of Congress, I think. I advocate. I was the leading advocate for single-payer health care. I was out there every single day, but I, in today's political world, would be somewhere to the right I would be a right-leaning Democrat by just not because I've moved all that much. And the same is true for Republicans. Where do you think Ronald Reagan would be on the continuum today? And so when Twitter says they want to be the town square, the digital town square, I say no. I say we need to do more to build up the real town square. We need to more to help school boards so they don't become purity tests. 
to allow college debates to be just that, debates with two sides, not people protesting and canceling them before they even begin. Congressional town hall meetings can't just be reduced to 15-second Twitter posts of the member of Congress saying something that maybe he inartfully said. They should be places that people feel safe going. This Twitter effect, and maybe it's oversimplified, there's a lot of things going on, is not the kind of thing that we want to expand, not the kind of thing that we want to tweak at the edges at the whims of a billionaire. This is the kind of thing that we need to think about getting rid of so we can return to having the real types of conversation, the substantive types of conversation that made our country great are going to make it continue to be great. So that's my little (laughs) riff about Twitter. I would love to hear what you have to think. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-922. This is Left versus Right. Curtis Lee was joining us at the top of the hour. I guess I should say my Twitter handle is at Rep Wiener. I think my Facebook is Anthony D. Wiener, but I'm not 100% sure of that. See you on the other side. We're going to pick up on more of these issues and also about the disinformation jurisdiction. I don't even know what it's called. We'll see you on the other side. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. And welcome back to Left versus Right. My name is Anthony Weiner. I'm on the left. Curtis Lewa on the right. Uh, you know. Curtis is coming in at the top of the hour. We have to do something about the name of this program. I mean, this left versus right thing doesn't really work out. Uh, and I just got done doing this whole riff about how our problem is that we are see each other being one corner or the other. Well, not on this program. 800-848-WABC to join the conversation. It's great to have you along on this beautiful day. 800-848-9222. Uh, Curtis is going to be in at the top of the hour. We're going to talk a little bit about... This proposal to rename the Ed Koch Bridge. And um, someone still has to let me know the difference between a limited and an express bus. It doesn't seem to make any difference. We, you know, as a matter of fact, the bus driver, when I asked him, you know, because I usually don't take the bus, I said, does it, you know, where does it stop on this? And he said, well, this is an express um, and it stops not far from the beautiful studios here on Third Avenue. But there must be some, there must be a bus driver out there who can call in to let me know or some transit buff. And we're also going to talk a little about this disinformation governance board, which people have been having a lot of fun with, um, uh, particularly on the right. And I think some of us on the left have been holding our head and banging it against the table because another seemingly unforced error. Um, but let me tell you a little bit, you know, this disinformation governance thing, we're going to talk about that when Curtis uh, joins us at the top of the hour but this does raise something that I didn't talk about, another danger of social media. And, and I'm singling out Twitter. I mean, Facebook arguably is the same way in many regards. These places that promote heavily conflict because that's the algorithm. That's what the algorithm demands. Conflict, 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 conflict. And it's true on, on, on Facebook. It's true on other social media platforms. But Twitter is particularly prone to it and it's been in the news. But something to re- remember, and I didn't even mention this, is that it's used by foreign by foreign governments to influence our debate. I mean, the 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 Russians used it to attack us in 2016. That is not even a question of fact anymore. It's been it was borne out by the by the Trump uh, intelligence community. Um, we we know that the Chinese have used Twitter and used uh, WeChat to try to put down oppression. Um, to, to try to uh, 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 put down um, insurgencies in their country using social media. And we ourselves are under attack. When, when the Russians used social media, Facebook in particular, but Twitter as well, to influence our elections, what did they do? They posted content on all different sides of arguments, but they did it aiming at inspiring people's passions and anger at their neighbors. That's what they did. They realized they found our soft spot. They found race inequity as our soft spot and went right there at it and attacked us using hundreds and hundreds of posts on Facebook to get people. They they posted about fake events that were going on. They posted about fake news items. These social media things don't allow us to sort those things out. You know, the Russians don't have to 
you know, hire a bunch of spies, train them up, teach them English, get rid of their accents, and then sneak them into the country to influence us anymore. That's not the way. It's not loose lips sink ships anymore that people are going to be overheard saying something. Now it's these social media platforms. And and let's let's remember that if you are truly concerned about debates in the public square, think about the difference that a debate would be like in, a, in the public square as it compared to where it is now on social media. No one... No one would um, – no one – and by the way, I should give out the number again because nothing's up on uh, – uh, oh, my board is down, I, I guess. But um, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Um, if you had a debate in public square and someone came running in in the middle of a conversation about, say, anything, uh, you know, you're having a conversation about transportation policy, about healthcare policy, and they yelled at the top of their young some conspiracy about, about QAnon. Most of the crowd, most of the people there would, would move them aside, would say, okay, we want to have our conversation over here. But on social media, that doesn't happen. The opposite happens. The people in the middle, the people who are concerned about being docs, the people that are concerned about being, you know, um, you know, driven and, you know, being, being canceled. Those are the people that, that wind up absenting themselves from the conversation. So, if there is if if there is a notion that our public debate is is somehow getting improved by having these voices, that's not the way it's working out. It certainly isn't. And if anything, if it's if if, if anything, the um, the conversation is getting completely stunted. Um, it's getting shortened. It's getting and people are being driven uh, driven off off of their um, uh, uh, um, off of their their own soapboxes. And let me say one one other final thing because I, I think I think some of the callers may may may, uh, may say it. Um, there's a lot of value to being able to bypass government and to be able to just organize online, to be able to organize protests, to be able to speak your mind, to not having to go through the mediation of of, of an editor, um, to not um, to, to to not have to rely upon a reporter. Uh, there's a lot of benefit to that. I see that. However, that's now gotten out of control. Now it's reached a point where um, where you really can't say anything that departs from the orthodoxy of your own side without having yourself be um, ostracized. And that's the challenge we face. So that's the conversation today on 77 WBC on left versus right, as I mentioned. Curtis is uh, on his way in. They're trying to get my board operating so I can see who are on all these these phone lines. It is really great um, to be here today. Curtis and I are going to be talking about some of the subjects. Also, Curtis, I have a feeling I'm going to have to listen to him again about something that recently happened on a broadcast of a Met game um, that, uh, that frankly I, – um, I look, I, it makes me smile. It makes – Curtis smile, but if we have to hear about it every single time this joke is made, he's going to tell us what it is. Uh, we have uh, the board is back up and working. Our first call today is uh, from George in Rockland County. George, go ahead. Sorry to keep you waiting, my friend. Hey, hi, how are you doing, Anthony? Okay. I'm doing well, so, George. Listen, okay, I'm listening to you. I don't know how much time you're going to give me. Okay, uh, when will you cut me? But I think you're kind of a disingenuous to some extent here. Okay. Uh, you are 100% totally Democrat, okay, which is fine here, okay, but you are continuously putting the Democratic narrative, okay. There's nothing wrong with this uh, Democrats in New York State. There's nothing wrong with Democrats in Washington. Everything is great. The Republicans are bad. Trump is bad. Everything on the other side is terrible, okay? And that's how you come across. George, 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 I, I, that's just not fair. You know, you can go and look at wabcradio.com. You can, on any podcast uh, platform that you use and go, go listen to, to the way I've discussed it. In matter of fact, I get, I, I've been criticized on the other side. I, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe Richard disagrees. R- Richard and Fort Lee, you're next up today. Yes, uh, Mr. Weiner, I, I want to agree completely with you about the debating. I, I went to Horace Mann prep, and in the debating class, we would have to take each side and learn the facts. And this is how I believe the, the principles of free speech are really in, ingrained in that principle of learning both sides. Excellent reference to the Lincoln-Douglas debates. I just want to commend you on your, your approach, and I think the show could be called Centerline. 
because ah, what you, one. I think, and, and, and Curtis do is they both look at the common sense aspect, and that helps unite people. And well, I really appreciate it, which so. I, I appreciate. Centerline's okay. There was this, uh, this, this politician in Texas whose name escapes me right now. He said, the only thing in the middle of the road is yellow lines and dead possums. I, I don't necessarily believe it's necessary to be on the middle on things. I think people have strongly held views, but being open to other people's ideas as a way of improving your arguments. I am not as good at having debates as I was when I was in Congress, and I had to do them every single day. Uh, next up on WABC Talk Radio, uh, Hector in Staten Island. Go ahead, Hector. Great to have you aboard. Hi, Anthony. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. So um, it's interesting the comments that you were making about Twitter uh, because no one seemed to be complaining about Twitter uh, when all of the things that have been going on previously um, you know, were, were not being uh, controlled by um, someone like the per- person who uh, currently bought it. But I didn't really hear you say anything about the Washington Post and Jeff Bezos. Uh, I didn't hear you say anything about Facebook. Uh, and that owner and the role that he's played and the things that he's been doing. Um, you know, and I really think that social media has become as relevant as it has because the reality is the mainstream media has been negligent in its uh, job to really hold government accountable and instead has just become a mouthpiece for the left. Well, that's that, that's fair. I did mention Facebook when we came back from the right, when I from, from the break, when I mentioned the idea that this is a problem, this is a problem on Facebook. Arguably, it was a problem on Facebook first. Where I, the point is, these algorithms that social media produces, they produce content that people are inclined to already want to see first, and secondly, any conflict that they can generate from that. We're under attack. We're being. To, as far as the Bezos Washington Post thing, look, I don't have any problem with with people with wealthy people investing in media this we we have one of the most successful businessmen in new york who owns this station and brought it back from from the dead i do have a little bit this this whole notion this slightly overblown notion that we can't get our you know it's a left-wing media left-wing media the biggest cable news company in the world is fox news by far the most successful radio station, talk radio station in New York is 77 WABC. Hardly a bastion of liberals, myself excluded. This is a, this is a right leaning, uh, uh, station. Um, so I'm not sure I, I buy that. I am fine with, with different voices owning different media things. I just think that social media has become very, very, uh, toxic. Um, Miguel in Bergen County. Miguel, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Anthony. I want to start out just giving you a compliment. I think you would have been the mayor had that whole scandal not taken place and possibly a presidential uh, contender. But one of the things I want to tell you, Anthony, is you really sound like you're a smart guy. And I think you take this argument way ahead of what the public is listening to. You know your side's losing the argument. Now all of a sudden Elon Musk wants to buy Twitter. He's going to own Twitter, and it's going to be free to pay. You're trying to mitigate the damage before that. Uh... The way I see it, and I think I'm right. Well, you could be. Well, thank you for the compliment. I, I look. I, here's my take on the on the on on the changes you're going to see. Not many. I don't. I think what you're going to find, Elon Musk is still going to have to deal with the Chinese and their rules. He's still going to have to deal with the laws of the United States. He's still going to have to deal. We have examples of websites uh, of uh, social media platforms rather that don't have rules. They're crap. No one. No one wants that. The the people that are on Twitter who are loyal to Twitter. Are, are are not going to tolerate it becoming a cesspool of unmitigated junk. So I don't think that Musk, Musk is a smart guy. I don't think it's going to change that much. I don't know if, if he – look, here's – I actually am optimistic about his ownership. I don't know why – I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. He's a, he's a billionaire who's going to do things that are in his interest, and I think his interests are going to be having a successful thing. But if he's right about getting rid of these bots that that, that – for the uninitiated – you can pretty much make up a, a, a Twitter handle and not have any identity behind it. One of the things I think that would be helpful, and this is a controversial position, I know, is to is to on some level, if someone's going to spread and spew hate or spew stuff around, there should be a name, a real identity behind them. Maybe they can have an assumed name, but at least Twitter should know that they're real people. But this whole idea that that liberals are afraid of Musk, I don't for why? Because he's because he's going to let Donald Trump back on the platform. I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world that he that he he was one of the many, many people, including people on the left, including people like me, who thought that 
blocking the the New York Post story was a mistake. I think that was a mistake too. But how, do you really think it's going to change it much? You think? Does anyone really want to have a Twitter where people can go onto Twitter and post the home address of police officers that they're protesting against? Of course not. You're going to have mediation. You're going to have people who are going to have, whether it's Musk or anyone else, you're going to have people who are going to have to say there are lines that we don't want to cross. And and that's it. So as we go to the break, I finally got a call that is going to answer my burning question for, for today, I hope. Uh, Marcus in Far Rockaway. Marcus, are you a bus driver? Uh, I'm a retired bus driver. Tell me the difference between limited and express. Okay. I uh, hope I get this right. If not, somebody else is going to correct. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, okay. Now, think of the buses. Now you got these. Uh, you got to make it quick. Buses. We're heading up against a break, so make it quick, Marcus. Okay, you got the double buses. Those are generally limited, limited stop buses, and the express buses are the buses that look like the coach buses that come from the city. Taking people from the outer parts of the boroughs into Man- into Midtown Manhattan. No, that's, that's a, no, that's an express. That's a a, a select that's bus. Express. That's an express bus. Yeah. I got an unlimited. Thank you very much, Marcus. You, you we're getting closer to the truth here. My bus was just a regular old fashioned bus running along Third Avenue, going all the way up, to, I think, to New Am- to, to Amsterdam Avenue, and it just was kind of an express bus. Well, we'll figure it out. If not, when Curtis comes in at the top of the hour. We got a lot to cover with him and a lot more to talk. We're talking about Twitter today. We're talking about social media. And maybe we'll even talk about the Disinformation Governance Board. I'm so happy you're with me. See you on the other side. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. And welcome back. Thank you very much for being with us on Left versus Right. Curtis will be joining us at the top of the hour. He has been kind to share this two-hour block with me, help me uh, get on my feet, and also uh, John Katzmatidis giving me an opportunity to try this out on my own. It's been a great learning experience. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're talking about Musk. We're talking about Twitter. And we're going to get a little bit into this disinformation government board. Gover- I can't even say it. It's the worst idea. Um, one more text just, just came in from uh, uh, Brett, who says that he thinks the difference is between the limited and the express is the express buses, the blue ones you can get in and out in the back, and the limited it's just a regular, a regular metro card. It's it's not it's not clear, but we're we're going to get this worked out. You know you know who should know this, Curtis Lewa. He's known for subways, but he does buses as uh, as a hobby. Um, we're going to go back to the phones, 800-848-WABC. I want to remind you that WABCradio.com, you can get a uh, podcast version of this show and all the other shows. And also, wherever you find your podcast, it's a little hard to find, I have learned, for Apple. I believe if you search left versus right, you can find it. I know that works on Android. And also, I'm just going to put this out because it's the sh- we're doing a show on Twitter. My handle is at Rep Wiener. I haven't touched it in a while, but if you want to go look at what I used to say back when I used it. Um, we'll go back to the phones. Uh, Stefano, thank you for holding on. You're in the Bronx. How are you, my friend? Good. How are you doing, Anthony? I'm doing well, thank okay? you. I can. Thank you. So, listen, like uh, like usual, by the time I get to the lines, I kind of forget the train of thought. <laughs> um, so, listen, I want to just say, so as, as, a, as a Democrat yourself, I understand that we will never see eye to eye on certain things, but I have to say I do appreciate you at least looking at the other side instead of being in complete denial and refusal all the time. But as far as uh, you were talking about Twitter, so, you know, when certain things are there, I mean, I understand that, you know, no one could commit political suicide and nobody wants to spend that kind of political capital on going after certain things. I get that. But we do have to state the obvious. I mean, it is so obvious what was going on on Facebook and all those when I, I did it as an experiment. And so I posted different things uh, with conservative views, and then I posted with more liberal views. And seven out of ten times, if I was using the right words with the conservative way, it was always getting flagged, always getting fact-checked, always getting – this never happened on the other side. So I wanted to see this experiment on my own, and I did it. But, I mean, I think that, hands down, I think anybody that, that navigates Facebook – had to have seen 
had to have seen the absurdity with which anything that had to do with conservative or if it wasn't on the same page concerning COVID, it was getting all shut down. Where are these fact checkers now? Why aren't we? And, and you know that there's a lot of disinformation. I understand there's, you know, hey, listen, but even a broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah. Even if you're on the opposite side of the spectrum, you have to concede that even the opposite side can be right, like a clock, even a broken clock. Twice yeah. a day. No, I, I, Stephanie, you, you're right. And, and part of the problem here is there is no transparency on how these processes get done. Now, I, I, I literally don't know if you're if you're right or not because who would I ask, right? You only know the experience you had of putting in things that got blocked. It might be that Facebook, the pendulum swung the other way, that there was disinformation about COVID, there was disinformation about the campaign, and so those things were coming from one side of the political spectrum, and so they started cracking down on that. Now, I, I have to tell you, though, that that – that that at the end of the day, these companies, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they make money by getting people to share, like, and, and, and the sort. That type of thinking, though, their business model is to get us all agreeing with what we're seeing or outraged by what we're seeing. Anything that gets us to engage, they make money on. That's not good for democracy. Democracy should not work like that. Democracy should reward people who, you know what, do what you did in this call. Take a little step towards the middle like what I tried to do earlier. Take a little step towards the middle. That kind of thing is so difficult for a politician, so difficult for a citizen nowadays. If you're someone on the left who might say something that is critical of AOC, for example, you get descended upon. If you're someone on the right who says, you know what, this election was not cooked, move on to other issues. We have so many good issues. You get descended upon. That should not be the way we have debates. And we're better than that as a people. And in other parts of our life, we were doing that not great. We've always had partisanship in this country, always. But even in the midst of partisanship, we were passing laws. We were meeting together in legislatures. We were having town hall meetings that weren't degrading into people yelling and shouting and turning off microphones. And I guess that's the point that I'm trying to make. I mean, you know, look, and, and there is another side to this. You know, Dina texted and she reminded me that on Facebook that the government of Miramar did a genocide against Rohingya refugees with the help of Facebook, with the help of, of, of gathering up information from Facebook, of using Facebook to track down people, hunt them down and kill them for their religious beliefs. I mean, these these things the, and these are businesses. These are gov- these are businesses. Now we expect government to answer all these questions, but the problem that we're having is that these social media platforms are degrading our ability to be able to have the important debates someplace else. When you get rewarded for being a person who stands up on the floor of the Senate and says something completely outrageous to try to go viral. I don't know if we still have that cut of me doing it on the House floor. That was before doing things to become viral had been figured out. I accidentally became viral when I was fighting for the 9-11 health fund. So maybe it's ironic to hear me say this, or maybe you would even call it hypocritical. But if you have politicians that get rewarded for that and then get absolutely crushed for trying to solve problems with members of the other party, I mean, look. Immigration, which we covered a couple of weeks ago on this program, and feel free to dial in 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Immigration is a classic case. The solving of immigration problems is not that complicated from a legislative perspective. I laid it out a couple of weeks ago. You can go go listen to it on podcast. Some things the Democrats have to give, some things Republicans have to give. The last time this gang of eight met, four Democrats and four Republicans – Every one of the Republicans wound up having a primary and one of them was going to run for president, wound up getting squashed because of his participation. That's the Twitter effect. I'm sorry. That's the Twitter effect. That's leading people to not even take these chances because social media um, has that kind of impact. And so we're going to talk about a little bit with Curtis, but this disinformation governance board, I admit I didn't know anything about this. I learned about the same time you did. I learned a lot about it listening to 77 WABC Talk Radio. A lot of the hosts here have been talking about it. I did a little bit of reading about it. It sounds like a crazy idea. Well, no, that's not true. The idea is right that the Department of Homeland Security, part of their job, part of their portfolio, it has been for years, is to try to monitor foreign interference in our government try to monitor foreign interference in our election, trying to monitor what foreign uh, governments are doing as it relates to their access to the Internet and our infrastructure and things like that. 
even when it comes to immigration, there are things. There's all kinds of fake websites out there encouraging people to come to the border with fake programs and coyotes that are trying to attract. So I kind of get the idea that there should be people at the Department of Homeland Security who are keeping an eye on what's going on out there to learn about possible threats, to learn about violations of law. I get it. The problem is two things. One, it's a stupid name. I mean, it's the disinformation governance. It sounds like you're governing the disinformation. It's a stupid name. Secondly, if you're going to do something like that, that cuts so close to what people's understanding are of the lines between government and the press, government and free speech, you better darn well go out there and not just fold it into a conversation that you're having during a congressional testimony that's on C-SPAN 3. You better go out and... Tell us exactly what it is you're trying to do. Tell us what the guardrails are around it. There's been a lot of joking about this. Nothing that I have seen says that they're trying to figure, you know, what's right and wrong on Twitter, like the subject we're talking about. I think they're trying to figure out national security things. But I have to tell you, I'm one that always tries to give the benefit of the doubt to government on both sides, you know, like. These are good, generally good people who are doing it for the right reasons. These very often 99.99% of government is run by bureaucrats and civil servants who devote their lives to their agencies. This one I really have no idea. Maybe Curtis, Curtis, I'm sure will have some something funny to say about it. But as a Democrat who is already we're going to have a tsunami in this coming midterm election, do we really need another thing that sounds like um, that that just distracts from all the important things that we're doing? All right. Well, once again, bumping up against a break. Um, but before we do, we're still trying to get an answer to this quite frivolous question. It's just something I'm curious about. I got on a bus today that was a limited, and I also take the select bus service, the express, on the way home. And I don't can't tell the difference. But maybe George in Rockland County can. can. George, thank you for holding on. Do you have an answer to this mystery? Uh, I sure do. Okay. Excellent. It's quite simple. Okay. Uh, as the name state, limited stop means. A bus is it does not stop at all stops. Let's okay. say it does stop every um, every fifth stop or okay. so, and it generally stays within the same borough you are in. Okay. Okay. Express bus, on the other hand, is generally buses that come from outer borough into Manhattan. Okay, so they pick people at the outer borough and then they go nonstop into the designa- designated. Okay, and maybe they do a few stops there. That's it. That's but how's but what's the difference, George? Thank you. What is the difference though between the limited and the select bus? As the truth is, I couldn't answer you. Okay, I'm going based on my past experience. Quite a few years back, I don't. I never heard about the select bus. It could be the select bus is kind of a hybrid uh, between uh, you know between the two or between. Is a local bus to the limited bus, okay? But I could definitely tell you, and you can ask the transit authority if you like, okay, what is the limited and what is express, and I just give well, you the answer. Well, when I, we I, get back... I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take it back. Thank you, Dry. When we get back, my friend Brett just cut and pasted from the MTA website, which I think has the answer to all our questions. And maybe what I'll do is I'll hold off and see if Curtis can answer this question. We're also going to talk about on the other side um, the renaming of the Ed Koch Bridge. And we're talking about Twitter, social media, 800-848-WABC. It's great to have you along on Left versus Right. I'm Anthony Weiner. I'll see you on the other side of the break. Left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. And welcome back to Left versus Right. I am Anthony Weiner. I am nominally on the left, and Curtis Slewa on the right will be joining us at the top of the hour. Uh, this has been a great show so far, talking about Twitter, social media, the difference between left versus the difference between left and right. And we've also worked in a little conversation about the nuances of New York City bus service. It's great to have you along. If you'd like to join the conversation, 800-848-WABC, wabcradio.com. You could also stream it there. And you can always get this program as a podcast. 
Just search left versus right, Curtis and Anthony. You could also get it via the, the Red Apple uh, Podcast Network. So we're talking about Twitter. I've laid out my case for why I wish it would just go away. Some people have made some good arguments that I'm just saying that because I'm afraid of Elon Musk. You know, I figured out that if you worked for uh, if you were paid one hundred thousand dollars a year and you saved all of your money. You know how long it would take you to be as wealthy as Musk? You'd have to work for one million six hundred seventy thousand years. So get to work on that. Uh, let's go back to the calls before we get to the top of the hour. Uh, Mike in New Hyde Park. Welcome aboard, Mike. Thanks for calling. What are you even doing on the air? I mean, people like you just don't go away. I watch C-SPAN fanatically. You were not a good debater. You were a screeching maniac. That's all you were. You got attention. You were like the Elvis of Congress. What do you, why, why don't people like you just go away? Is that it? Is that the question? Did you hang on to ask that no, question? No, All right, no, good question. All right, I'm going to... No, no, no. There's no question. Oh. There's no question. I'm objecting to the fact that you're given a microphone to speak to millions of people. You, you have nothing to contribute to society. You've proven that time and time again. Why? It's like Jim Baker and and uh, all these televangelists. People like you just don't uh, go away. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you so much for calling. I appreciate you listening. I hope you keep on listening and call back again. Look, I don't. Uh, I am not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> no, no doubt about it. My ex-wife, Huma, reminds me of that all the time. Uh, let's go to uh, Eric in Kew Gardens, my old district. Hey, Eric, how you doing? Good, my friend. How are you? Thank God. Doing okay. Good. Nice to hear your voice on the air. Nice surprise. Um, quick question. Uh, let's go back the uh, mayoral election. I can't remember what, what year it was exactly. You know better than me. Um, should have been you. Uh, de Blasio was a fluke. Let's let's play devil's advocate. Anthony Weiner was mayor for eight years. How different would New York City be right now? Well, that's a great question. I you know I have tried over the course of the last eight years not to be someone who. Who you know? One of the reasons that you know, when I spoke to John Katzmatidis, the owner of this radio station, when he was bringing back WABC, he reached out early, much earlier, and I, I kind of didn't want to be one of these people that loses an election and then carps at the guy. I think I would have been different in a couple of different ways. You know, one, I would have leaned into the idea that um, I was not an ideologue. That if things, if I was going to try to figure out a way to make things work. I was going to go into every community. I was not going to, I don't believe you can be an ideological mayor. I think you have to be a mayor who understands that, that we are a problem-solving locality. We have to get stuff done for 8.5 million people. So that in one way, I, I never quite understood the way de Blasio brought ideology into every conversation. If, you know, education is a classic case. You know, this fight over charter schools. I, my position was and continues to be, my mom, well, I went to public schools. My mom was a public school teacher for 30-something years. If you want to try charter schools, hey, bring it on. Let's give it a try. Let's try different things here. It didn't, in my view, threaten the outcome of the city in any way. When, you know, if, if we were going to find a way to cut down on, on crime and that mean getting more police officers into one community in response to the complaints, you know, sometimes you're going to have to take your lumps. But if, if the police officers were going out and doing thousands and thousands of stops and they weren't producing arrests, that meant that they weren't doing their job very well. And I was hard on that as well. I, I believe, you know, that frankly, part of being a mayor is showing up, showing up on time, showing up on time and not looking like you regret being there. <laughs> a lot of the things that I think Eric Adams is doing pretty well at, I mean, despite the fact that we're going through some very tough times. But I don't well, I don't sit at home at night saying, I wish, I wish, I wish. I believe things happen for a reason. I believe in a higher power is protecting me. I believe in the, in the notion that, that people can have, can be of service in different types of ways. You don't need to be the mayor. You can be someone that when you're on your block and you see some trash on the ground, you pick it up. You can be someone that if there's a senior citizen across the street you haven't seen in a while knocking on their door. There are, there are many ways that we can be of service beyond having, having an office. And one of the ways that I think I can be of service is by being here a couple hours a week, being on the radio, having conversations with people, even people who might not always agree with me, um, and, and having conversations that bring people together. You know, being of service is what I did when I was in the council, when I worked for Chuck Schumer, when I was a mayor. When I was a mayor, that was a slip. When I was a, a member of Congress. 
it's the thing I took my greatest pleasure in, being in my office in Kew Gardens and helping local people deal with their concerns, figuring out a way to solve community problems, trying to be present for people was, to me, what public service was about. And that's a little bit about what talk radio is about. It's a little bit about what, what 77 WABC tries to do. You know, my Twitter is not lighting up with this conversation that we're having today. But the phone lines are full because people want to engage with one another. They want to engage, uh, have a real conversation. They don't always agree with the outcome. They bring their own viewpoints, their own biases to the table. But part of being of service to your neighbor is taking the time to share those things. And that's why I chose this subject today, that I believe we're becoming less and less a, a, a country, less and less a community that feels comfortable engaging their neighbor. You know, they, when, when, when James Madison expressed his concerns about the future of our country, he was concerned that the passions of the moment were going to run away with people, that people were going to just – that we wouldn't be able to govern ourselves because our passions would run too high. We would be too hot-blooded. And so all these checks were put into government, six-year terms for the Senate, long process to bill becoming a law and the like, to kind of slow us down. To You know, they called the Senate the cooling saucer of a democracy. Well, now we've reached a point that maybe that those concerns are becoming true, but not because our political systems are failing, but because of our public debate is failing, because we've gotten so used to the idea of anonymously calling each other names, anonymously saying that I, you know, that that you're a bum, and then and then putting down our phone and waiting to see what happens, that we've lost the ability to have conversations back and forth with one another about the things that are really important, and I hope that. You know, radio, terrestrial radio, local radio, community radio, like community newspapers are going to be our salvation, are going to be the place that people return to. And so when I say turn off Twitter, I don't believe it's going to happen. I don't believe Elon Musk is going to turn off Twitter. I don't believe that's going to happen. And frankly, I'm, I'm not pessimistic. I, I believe that there are ways that we can improve the way we govern ourselves. But one of those ways is to educate our children about the idea about how conversations used to be engaged in this country and how we can do them again how we can still have a situation like Curtis and I have where we sit down across the table from one another, coming from different places but really coming from the same place. We come from a city that welcomes people from all around the world, from a country that welcomes people from all around the world, and says, you know what? We sometimes are not going to be happy about the differences that you bring, but we're going to honor them. We're going to treat them as part of the fabric of our country. We're going to have debates. We're going to have disagreements. We're going to run for office. We're going to go to school board meetings. And we're not going to try to shut down the other person. We're going to try to bring them to our side. We're going to sometimes be angry or sad or disappointed at the outcome of an election. But we're not going to throw up our hands and say someone cheated. We're going to get right back at trying to do better the next time. We're going to have conversations like adults. And that's what I think we're dedicated to at 77 WABC Talk Radio. I know that's what I want to do. I know that's what Curtis wants to do. And to all of you that have participated over the last hour and are waiting on hold for the next hour at 800-848-WABC, it's great to have you aboard. This is America, ladies and gentlemen. I'm glad you're part of it. We'll see you on the other side.